Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football Bleacher Report's college football and NFL draft podcast. This is Matt Miller, lead draft writer at BR. And if I sound a little different today, we had some snow and ice hit Missouri, so I'm recording from my dining room. Connor, as always, you're tucked away nicely in the safety of our podcast studio in Manhattan. That's right. It is not hit here yet. Thank God. I am not ready for winter at all. What I am ready for, though, Matt, is a couple things today. We got to go through this coaching carousel because there might be more jobs open than we've seen in a long time this offseason and some really big jobs at some huge landing spots. So we'll make some predictions, tell you about some of the rumors and, you know, connecting the dots of what names are going to be floated out there for interviews and potential hires. Um, and then, of course, we'll close out the show with your draft on draft questions, with you, which you guys have just been sending a ton of good ones in. We're trying to catch up on as many as possible. Please keep sending them. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And also, I want to say thank you to Missouri Southern for hosting us, our tailgate tour last this past weekend in Joplin. We had a great turnout, honestly, the best turnout we've had at any tailgate so far. So we want to thank all of our local listeners and friends who made it out. We are uh, we're on to Ohio State, though, man. We've got about uh, not even two weeks uh, a week and two days, and and Mello and myself will be on the road to Columbus, Ohio. We're going to have a kick-ass tailgate there. I want it to be the biggest, baddest tailgate we've had all year. We're going to be in the RV lot from 5 a.m. I'm going to be there until they kick us out Sunday morning. I don't know about you, but I'm committed to stay for the long haul. I, I've been telling people, you could be a Michigan fan. You could be an Ohio State fan. You could be a neutral fan and just show up. You don't have to have a ticket to the game. We're going to tailgate. We're going to have fun. We'll have cornhole we'll probably have some beer pong tables we're gonna have some bleach report swag it's gonna be a great great event so hopefully we get to see everybody out there but like you said today we're gonna dive hard into the coaching carousel as it relates to the nfl and and mostly because this is something you guys have been all over us about on twitter to see okay who is going to be uh fired and who are the best candidates for that before we get to that though man Today, as we're recording Tuesday morning, and by the time you guys listen to this Wednesday, we'll know what happened, but I want to get an official prediction from you. Does Le'Veon Bell report today? Because if he doesn't report by 4 o'clock Eastern time, he cannot play this year. He becomes a free agent unless they unless they want to tag him again, but it, I, I think it signals the end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's like, what is it, $25 million, the tag yeah. that he would get? There's been a lot of... I don't want to say bad reporting, just confused reporting about there about Bell. He doesn't really have to play this year. A lot of people have thought that because the reality of the situation is the Steelers are not going to place the tag on him again. I, I think they're aware that this has come to an end here. Bell has a very, very good chance of hitting the open market. I don't think he's going to get as much guaranteed money as a lot of people are assuming. I've reached out to a couple of teams already just to get feelers like, Hey, would, would would you sign Le'Veon Bell if you only had to put the guaranteed money in the first two years? And there wasn't the instant impact yes I was expecting to get. So I think there's a lot of concerns with Bell maybe checking out or maybe being away from the game. I think he's still a fantastic, phenomenal player that will show up ready to go next year. But I don't really think holding out went to his favor as much as him and his agent originally expected it to. No, and I think that as a running back, especially, you only get so many years to make money. You might want to make that money while you can. And and maybe there are some people that would say, hey, hasn't he made enough? And yes, he's going to get a top running back contract next year. But um, I think you could go both ways. You either look at a guy that, okay, he missed an entire year, so that's less wear and tear. But he also missed an entire year. And I think you can like, even look at Des Bryant. Doesn't play until November. First practice pops an Achilles. So you have to worry about next year. Is this a dude that took a year off or did he just not play football for a year? He was actually still training, still staying in the, in the right physical condition. So I'm, I'm very skeptical of what's going to happen with Le'Veon Bell. But I do know that whether it's the Texans, the Colts, maybe your Jets, like someone's going to be paying this dude some serious money next year to be their number one running back. And, and when he was on the field last year, I think you could say he was the best running back in football. So and he's a quarterback's best friend. I mean, let's not forget that. The guy is such a good pass-catching back that makes things happen and a good pass protector that there are teams that are, you know they will pay a premium up front to help their quarterbacks right away. So it's going to be a very interesting market for Bell, a very interesting free agent market in general. If you guys are new to the show and joined us because a lot of the college football coverage, 
this show in the offseason focuses so much on the rumors, buzz, and fits of free agency in the draft that it won't be very long before that's all we're talking about. Yeah, I'm ready for that. I texted you this morning super excited about the fact that we are going to be moving into it's offseason time. So we're going to be focusing a lot on free agency, shakeups in, in front offices, and, and the big one that we want to talk about now, coaching changes. I, I put on our list today just coaching changes that I've potentially heard. And there are so many of them this year. There are nine openings that could happen, that legitimately could happen. We're going to take them one by one, talk maybe a little bit about why there would be a firing, and then who could be the best candidates. And the first on that list is obviously the Cleveland Browns. They've already fired Hugh Jackson. The only open one. (laughs) Only open one. And they fired offensive coordinator Todd Haley, Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, the interim head coach. I just want to publicly go on record as saying there's no way that he keeps that job. I don't care how many games they win the rest of the season. John Dorsey, the general manager, will be looking to bring his own guy in. And a little bit of a domino effect. I think somewhat it matters which other jobs come open. If Mike McCarthy's fired in Green Bay, I think he is the number one name for the Browns because of his ability to be a CEO, to run a team. I said this on radio in Cleveland on Monday. A head coach, you don't always hire a head coach to be your your guy who puts the scheme out there. You know, maybe Sean McVay was, maybe Kyle Shanahan was, but more and more a head coach has to be a CEO and Mike McCarthy can do that. And I think very important to the Browns would be Mike McCarthy can bring a damn good staff with him. Like that guy, the Ron Wolf tree uh, of front office guys. One other side of that is the, like the Mike Holmgren tree of coaching and, and it comes off the Bill Walsh tree. Like Mike McCarthy can go get some fucking good coaches to come to Cleveland to where they would be able to get someone that could help Baker Mayfield. They could get a D coordinator that's going to maximize Miles Garrett. So as much as anything that McCarthy brings, it's the staff that he could build around him that's so important. It's like Matt Nagy to the Bears. Like, yeah, we love Matt Nagy, but when we saw his staff, we were like, holy shit, this guy, he gets it. He knows what he's doing, and we're seeing that payoff. So if I'm a Browns fan, I know Mike McCarthy is not the sexiest name out there, but it might be the best name that you're actually going to get. Yeah, I agree with you. When we wrote out this rundown, I said the two options, if you have one NFL and one college, for me, it would be Mike McCarthy from the NFL and Matt Campbell, a guy that's going to be mentioned with a couple of these teams from Iowa State. And he's already been linked to them. I believe Albert Breer was the first person to link him there. But McCarthy makes so much sense. And Matt, you bring up a really great point that a lot of people fail to understand, and I did for a long time, is that a great coordinator is not necessarily going to be a great coach. And a lot of what makes a great coach is the hiring power of the staff and managing a football organization. Todd Bowles is was a great defensive coordinator. Todd Bowles is a very, very smart defensive mind, a very organized defensive mind. He has not been able to hire a staff in New York. He's gone through, I believe, now four offensive coordinators. And, and I don't even know if Jeremy Bates is going to survive this season, to be quite honest with you. So the number might even finish higher than that. He can't hire staff, and it makes a world's difference. So I think when people get excited about guys like Filippo and Biennemi from the Chiefs, those guys might end up being good coaches, but I'm curious what kind of staff they can bring and how they can run a team. And I do think Mike McCarthy, while things have gone up and down recently for the Packers with him and Aaron Rodgers, I do think he's a really good fit for the Browns. And more importantly, I think he's a guy that would work really, really well with John Dorsey. Yeah, and and one thing that I, not to make this a Browns podcast, I know some people would be okay with that. I think when you look at the Browns, one thing you have to be very aware of is ownership. You know, we will talk about jobs like Green Bay, Dallas, the New York Jets. Ownership matters. And I think with Cleveland, it matters in a negative way. Like, that's not a great ownership situation to be in. So you have to be aware of the fact that there are a lot of coaches out there that are not going to work with Jimmy Haslam. And so when you talk about the Lincoln Rileys, as much as I think Lincoln loves Baker Mayfield and it would be awesome to see them reunited, he's going to have his pick of the litter. So going to work for the Haslam's, I, I think is a negative that coaches are going, smart coaches are going to think about. And so when you do, whether it's Matty Campbell, Lincoln Riley, if John Harbaugh gets fired, like those are the names that probably aren't going to want to consider Cleveland because of the bad ownership situation. And, you know, I think that segues perfectly to a team like the New York Jets that has such a, a, a weird ownership situation because Woody Johnson, the owner is right now the ambassador to the United Kingdom. So (laughs) he's eventually going to come back 
And I don't think that people outside of the Jets fandom kind of realizes how much better this team's situation is with Chris Johnson, Woody's brother, running the team while his brother's off, you know, making sure we have a friend still in Europe. Todd Bowles is not fired yet. Matt, I will bet anything in the world, Todd Bowles will be fired by the end of the season. And the reason he's not fired, for there's many, I'm not a believer that Chris Johnson has all this authoritative power. He's just the name in charge while his brother's gone. His brother is still in the picture. And all of the people that work closely with the Johnsons from the business side of things. So when you look at the situation, much like Cleveland, this is another risky ownership situation for coaches where now, now I do think someone like John Harbaugh would consider this job. I don't think the jets are the favorite to get him. I I think that's a team we're going to talk about later, but I think he's under consideration because Sam Darnold is there and that's an important infrastructure. He'd have the power to bring in the coaches he wants, which is another important thing. You can wipe the slate clean. If you go to the jets, the only coach I could really see sticking around is their defensive backs coach, a younger guy in Denard, who's worked really closely with Jamal Adams and Marcus May over these last two years and and been a voice in that locker room. So the Jets are interesting to me because I am actually a believer that they need to go the unconventional route. They do need to swing for the fences. You, you had some bright spots with Rex Ryan. That tenure was a failure overall. He he could not. He was never going to be a really good head coach for a long time. He proved that not only with the Jets at the end of his run, but with the Bills. Todd Bowles, it's been a near disaster, to call it. The transitioning from defensive coordinator to head coach route needs to get kicked to the curb for the Jets. I would go all in on Matt Campbell because Lincoln Riley is not coming to the Jets. I want to do Jets fans a favor right now. And, and, I, and there's only one place Lincoln Riley will go, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. And we'll talk about that. Lincoln Riley's not coming to the Jets. He's not leaving Oklahoma, a juicy salary, a comfy, comfy coaching position to deal with the hell is that the New York City (laughs) media. It's a living hell. He's not doing that. And and guess what? A guy like John Harbaugh can handle it. Matt Campbell, we'll see if he has the interest. I think the Jets should have interest because of his ability to be an innovator and a motivator. But this job while it has a really good piece there for Sam Donald and the cap space, and you know we'll see what happens with the front office, you make a great point back to Cleveland where there is an ownership problem. And I think for the Jets, like you said, not only is, do you remember when, uh, I mean, I don't want to go full dagger in the heart here. Remember they hired Belichick and he was like, nope. And it was because of the ownership situation. And I yeah, think that there's, this. right. They're still in a similar spot. So, and not only that, people listening to this regularly know that I think very highly, of the Jets front office that they saw some issues and in their process and they corrected it and they've had very good drafts and they've, they've swung and missed in free agency, but they're at least trying. However, if you're a head coaching candidate, if you're Lincoln Riley, do you want to go somewhere where the front office might be fired in two years? You don't, like you don't want to do that. And especially like all these guys are connected, right? There's only like four good coaching and, and front office agents out there. They're all connected. There's a chance uh, the Jets uh, uh, vice president of player personnel, Brian Heimerdinger, there's a chance he's going to leave after this year. Would you want to go up there with the guy that everyone at scouting talks about is like the the guy who's like really running stuff up there. He might go get his own job. Do you, if you're Lincoln Riley, like that's what makes that attractive is Sam Darnold and, and Heimerdinger. And if he's gone, like you don't want to go work for Mike McCagnan. No one does. So I, I think that, like I, I'm sorry to piss on everybody's parade, but like it, it might be time to think about the fact that they're gonna have to go with someone like Matt Campbell, who's maybe not the top candidate, but it's still a really good candidate. They might have to go with like a Matt Lafleur, who's the offensive coordinator in Tennessee right now, or Zach Taylor, the quarterbacks coach for the Rams. Like you might have to go young and hope that you hit on a Nagy or a McVay instead of going with like the super conventional hire, like a, a Harbaugh or, or Lincoln Riley or Jim Schwartz. And I think the dark horse in all of this out of the coordinators, because he's going to probably get fired, not he doesn't deserve to, but Todd Munkin in Tampa Bay has really been hamstrung by the head coach, Dirk Cotter. He's a guy that uh, let's not forget at Southern Miss, I believe in his final year, he went nine and five. That's not easy to do at Southern Miss. Like that's really hard to do. So 
he's someone that when he calls plays looks pretty damn good doing it. I don't know if he'll get a head coaching job, but I think he's somebody people need to start talking about more because he might be a really valuable piece if someone can guarantee he's their offensive coordinator. So, and eventually there's so many teams to go through here where you do get into the Todd Munkin kind of guys that might have job opportunities because we still have to get to Baltimore. We've talked so much about John Harbaugh. Matt, what does Baltimore do? What is their plan? Because we're we're going to be entering the Lamar Jackson era. Let's call it what it is. And I don't think it's that the Ravens are a bad franchise or that John Harbaugh is a bad coach. I think it's just it's been a decade and it's time for a mutual parting of ways. Exactly. Where, and I, I where think, do they go? That's the hard part. It's like you already have a really good coach who a lot of people are going to want, but they almost just need to, you know, like break up and date other people at this point. Well, I can see this that. being... We have all done that. Uh, I could see this being a spot for Josh McDaniels, right? There was Ooh. there was reports that the Patriots had some interest in Lamar Jackson, and I think a lot of that was Josh McDaniels. So if you're Josh and you know that you're going to be a top candidate, you can kind of have your pick of where you go. You're going to want to go to a team with a great ownership situation, a, str- a very strong front office, and the Ravens have that. They have one of the best owners in the league in terms of giving you what you want and still being hands-off. Eric DeCosta is a very good general manager and you would have a great fun offensive piece to work with, with a strong defense, a pretty good offensive line. The turnaround there is not that hard, even though it is a very tough division. So I could see this being a Josh McDaniels landing spot where honestly, he's probably one of the few candidates that you would consider a potential upgrade. I'm not a McDaniels guy. I especially hate what he did to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, As Mello would say, uh, fuck that guy allegedly, but I think that is a a spot that makes a lot of sense for him. The other good name I'll throw out there, and you know that I really don't like this guy, is uh, John DeFilippe. Not that I don't like him. I just think he's been incredibly overrated. Yeah, sure he is, but very overrated. He's not the slam dunk number one uh, coordinator out on the market, as some people have made him out to be. I'm with you. I, I get asked about him every year for the last four years as a Jets fan, nonstop. It's an obsession. And he's probably a pretty decent play caller. Probably pretty good with quarterbacks. I don't know if that means he'll be a good head coach. Where I'm not putting him above Harbaugh or McCarthy or Campbell or Lincoln Riley. I don't even think he's been a better play caller than Munkin that I just talked about. So when it comes down to it, he's a solid candidate. Nothing more, nothing less. I don't think he's as good as Frank Reich or Matt Nagy were. Like, I really don't. I don't. You know what I mean? It's not on that level. I'm almost more intrigued at times by what Eric Bieniemy can be. And we've only seen his calling for one year. So uh, he's probably going to get a lot of interviews, and I think he deserves those interviews. But to call him a slam dunk candidate, I'm not there yet either. Another probably mutual parting of ways where there's been some really good times during this era, and we said it earlier, Green Bay, Mike McCarthy. Do you think that... This they go out and they you know they really work with I know it sounds crazy but do you work with Aaron Rodgers on who the I next you head coach to. you have to because he's I mean look at the cap the salary cap right he's, he's as much of the franchise as any <laughs> human being on earth and also I know he's like the greatest quarterback in the NFL right now but he's also reportedly a hard guy to work with so Very I think hard. you have to feel him out of like hey who do you respect who do you want in here you obviously can't get Bill Belichick. So who do you want instead? Do you go with someone like uh, a young guy like a Zach Taylor? Do you go with Josh McDaniels, who's going to be like the you know, the young, uh, really hot candidate that everybody puts out there? I, Let I me think... throw something at you. Bruce Arians. Oh, God, that would work. It, it would work right? really well. It's a, it's a short window thing. Like where Bruce Arians goes, that team is not sitting there saying, hey, here's our 10-year plan. Right. Because Bruce Arians is an older guy that got a little burnt out from coaching. There was some rumors of health. He also concerns. saw the writing on the wall with Carson He saw the writing Palmer. on the wall. But the Packers can win a Super Bowl in the next three years. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Three They've of drafted them, really. well recently on defense. They have the best quarterback on planet Earth. They have two first round picks this offseason. I like Bruce Arians in Green Bay. I like that. So I'll throw the unconventional name at you. Ready? Dan Campbell, the tight ends coach for the Saints. I, okay. I think he's like a tough enough. He's he's like 40, 40-ish, 41, 42 years old, tough. He comes from that, uh, like the Bill Parcells, Sean Payton, like that type of mold. So not the Belichick side of it, more the, the Payton, 
uh, Parcel side of it, I know that the people, I almost gave it away. I know some people who speak very highly of him. That'd be a great show. Matt reveals a source on the uh, November 14th. <laughs> Stick to football. God. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so I know some people speak very, very highly of him as an up and coming. Like he's going to be a head coach soon and it might be this year. So I think he might be tough enough to come in and, you know, just be the dude that says, this is how we're going to do things. You've mentioned Eric Bieniemy a couple of times. I would throw out Dave Taub, the special teams coach for the Chiefs, too. Like, he has been a name the last few years. He's interviewed a couple times. I think he's someone that you would definitely consider as more of that CEO-type head coach. But he's definitely a name that I like because the Packers can get a good coach. And they really can get a very, very good coach. It's just about finding someone that can work with uh, with Aaron Rodgers. We have so many openings. Next opening, Denver Broncos. Vance Joseph, you see him now getting fired on your screen. He's got <laughs> not be having gone, the man. time of his life anymore. Not having it. I mean, who else can John Elway throw into the bus? Uh, he's going to get rid of someone, and we'll see this swing now. Instead of going with the hot coordinator, he's going to go to the established retread. I could see Mike McCarthy landing here. I could see John Harbaugh landing here. The problem is you don't have a quarterback. They had a great draft last year. I, I do want to give Elway credit for that. You have a defense that scares the shit out of people. You're going to have to build an offense around those young receivers and the young run, running backs. So it's just finding someone who can come in and and you know be that that anchor almost. So I think that's why they would go with someone who's more of a a known commodity as opposed to maybe one of the the younger candidates. I, I agree. This isn't a college landing spot, an unconventional hire. This is uh, Harbaugh, McCarthy retread kind of hire here, and, and I think. Harbaugh would top their list because I think he gives them the biggest instant impact. And if you know what John Elway needs, that's it right now. So the biggest question is how attractive is this job? I love their last draft. I do think they have talent on defense, even though they've been susceptible to a big play all year. They have a lot of ability on offense. You need to figure out quarterback. That coach needs to be promised to be a part of that solution, you know, process. Yeah, it it is, man. And that's, that's why it's so important for Denver because they like they're not. I don't feel like they're that far away, especially with that the how good the defense is. But damn it, they got to get a quarterback in there. Like, and this is not the offseason to do it necessarily. So it, that might be a four year rebuild plan where you say, okay, well we're going to get by with what we have uh, with Case Keenum, and then we're going to go all in on one of those twenty twenty quarterbacks like Tua or Jake Fromm or Eason or uh, if Dwayne Haskins goes back to school. So it, it is going to be wild. The big one that we buried down here that we're going to make everybody wait for to talk about, though, the Dallas Cowboys. If this job comes open, people are going to want it like they want Blake Lively. Like this job is the hottest one on the market. You have ownership that might be crazy, but is fantastic. You got money. You're in the state of Texas. You don't have to pay in state income tax. You have the best facilities in football. The star sells itself. And if Lincoln Riley isn't the head coach of the Cowboys next year, I'm going to be shocked. I'm with you. I I just, this is the job for Lincoln Riley. The question with Lincoln Riley was, why would he leave Oklahoma? A situation that's been great to him, and he's been great to them. This is the one job where you look at it and you say, it makes sense. He, he, you know, is, goes to Dallas where ownership is going to open a blank check for him. He's going to innovate on offense for them. And he's going to have the Cowboys fan base, which, let's face it, has probably been a little bored this year. It's been a boring year. There's been some nice wins. This is not a fun football team to watch. You want the Cowboys to be a marketable, explosive franchise again and a guy where, hey, maybe Dak Prescott doesn't work out for the long-term future. A guy that you know when you draft your next quarterback of the future, whether that is in 2020 or beyond, this guy will get the most out of him. Yeah, and that's what you need. Uh, we've talked about this before, so I'll sum it up quickly. You have Dak Prescott very cheaply for a little bit of time. You owe it to the front office. You owe it to Dak to get a coach in there that can maximize his ability so you can see if this is the guy. Because if he's not, you better get your ass a quarterback in the 2020 draft because it's going to be loaded. So the Lincoln Riley hire is as much about Yes, turning this team around, uh, rejuvenating it because of Jason Garrett has gotten stale there. You need to find out, though, pretty damn quick if Dak's your guy, and I think this is the best way to do it 
Uh, a couple more jobs to get through. We both think that Adam Gase is probably out in Miami. This could be the Dan Campbell landing spot. Uh, they're going to have to completely tear down that offense or rebuild it. I think Miami makes some sense for Dan Campbell as a candidate because it's like it, that's a hard spot, and you need someone who can come in and, and probably work with a new front office. That's the other side of this. I think we might see a complete blow up in Miami where you have a new general manager coming in as well. So it's it's tough to predict that higher. And I think it's the same for Tampa Bay because Jason Light is probably gone and Dirk Cutter probably goes with him. So these two are grouped together, not only because they're in Florida, but because we could see an entire new structure come into place. Whereas with these other jobs, like the GMs are all staying around in these spots. But with Miami and with Tampa, you could see a, a lot of change there where you hopefully get a GM who then goes out and hires his head coach. So Matt, if you think they tear this entire thing down in Tampa, is that the end of Jameis Winston? Or do you think Should ownership ownerships makes the new coach like the Giants had to do with Eli stand by him? I, I think because Jameis isn't, hasn't won two Super Bowls and he's not a Manning yeah. and he's not a sympathetic figure, you use this as an opportunity to wash your hands. Yeah, like that's what you scratch. do. Now is your time to just start over and say, you know what, man, it's not working. New GM can take the blame. And then you, it's almost it's like, honestly, the best situation possible. Cause now you have four to five years to rebuild because you're starting over at quarterback. I would say the same thing to the dolphins. Like now's the time to realize that Ryan Tannehill's not your answer. Use this as an opportunity to wash your hands of it all and start fresh. As always, guys, we got to knock out these draft on draft questions because they are really starting to heat up. I mean, we got so many questions about the draft itself, free agency. If you know, if you if we miss your question, we might have answered it already in the coaching carousel because we spent a lot of time on that in this show. So the first one from James Draper. This one's for Matt. What is your dream draft for the Niners? How does it compare to what you think will happen? It's such a weird year to be a Niners fan because I'm so all in on Nick Bosa, but like the logical part of my mind is screaming like you cannot draft that many defensive linemen in a row in the first round, but it is the biggest need on the team. So I I want Nick Bosa and and the loss to the New York Giants, I I think helps you get there because of where they're at now in the draft order. I actually think they would be second as of Tuesday morning uh, in the draft order, just behind the Oakland Raiders. So like you're, you're not getting Bosa if you're picking second. So from there, it's like I would actually favor a trade back because Quentin Williams is one of my favorite players. Ed Oliver is one of my favorite players, but those guys are redundant to Salma Thomas and DeForest Buckner. I would actually trade back, try to get someone like Greedy Williams because it, it's just it's not that year where there's the great you know second player and like the Niners need a receiver. There's not a receiver I would take early. You know, even at left tackle, like Jonah Williams is probably not going to be a top three or four pick. And and if Joe Staley can be convinced to come back, you don't that's not a need because of how well Mike McGlinchey's plan as a top ten pick last year. So I, I think it's too early for Devin White. It's too early for Deontay Thompson at number two overall. So I would be all in on trading back and trying to get some extra picks and then then going after someone like Josh Allen or Greedy Williams would be probably my dream. But it's just all about like getting Jimmy back healthy and getting Jerry McKinnon healthy, hopefully, so that they can make that run next year. Yeah, I love that. I, I think when you look at the Niners, a trade back makes a lot of sense if they can't get Bosa. You can get a Ja'Kai Polite or a Cleveland Farrell, or like you said, if you keep going back, Josh Allen, Greedy Williams. So the, the Niners have a lot of options. And we always say this, but losing is really good for them right now. So it is it, like, yeah, I was so torn watching it last night. Cause it was like, I want to see Nick Mullins win a game. Cause like, he's exciting and he's fun and it gives it's a cool story, but it's like, God, we need to lose this fucking game. Like, <laughs> let's be honest. We really need yeah, to I lose know. this ball game. Uh, trust me. I know that feeling. All right. This next one from Mason Whitlock. When the hell is mellow getting his natty light tramp stamp myself and some fellow stickies are wondering. Well, Mason, I think because you stood us up at the Moso tailgate, uh, you would know the answer to this had you been there. We were actually going to schedule Mello's tattoo for this coming Thursday night after the podcast, but there's a chance we will be at the uh, Junior College National Championship because it's at Pitt State, which is right in our backyard. So uh, we have some friends who coach in that game. It would be a great chance to see some up-and-coming talent. So we might be at that game. So the tattoo talk is happening again, though. We Just to be transparent, we had to hit pause on it because Mello is probably the busiest person I know between 
teaching, coaching, being a single father and doing two podcasts a week. The dude didn't have a lot of free time. So we we just hit pause. Let's get through the season and we'll pick it back up. But I, I believe it's going to happen very soon. Didn't Cam Newton win a junior college championship? He did at Pitt yeah. State. Yep. When he was at Blaine College. Yep. So don't get mad at the guys for going because you never know who you're There's so much talent. Uh, it's insane. The Garden City's playing East Mississippi Junior College. And so, or East Mississippi Community College, the team that was on Last Chance U. And Garden City's head coach, Jeff Sims, is going to be the new coach at Missouri Southern where I went to school. So it's like there's a lot of things connected here that make it to where it's like we should go because there's there's future NFL talent on that field. And getting a chance to see them early is always a lot of fun. All right. This next one from Brendan Albert. Do you think North Turner, as Ravens' next head coach to work with Lamar Jackson, has a chance? I don't. Because I, I know he's doing a great thing with Cam Newton this year, but man, I just I'm not in on Nora Turner being a candidate again. I, it goes seen back that. to what you said earlier. Not all coordinators are meant to be CEOs. Exactly. So I'm over that one. I, I think it would be much much smarter to go after Matt Lafleur, Lafleur, Zach Taylor, if, if you want to go to the offensive coordinator route. But like we said before, like that's a very good coaching job. You should be able to get one of the better candidates because of of ownership, like. You know, if they wanted to call Chris Peterson at Washington or David Shaw at Stanford, like, I don't think that's crazy. That's going to be a job that a lot of people want because of just how secure the structure is. So I would not go after North Turner. And I think a lot of people would jump at the opportunity to work with Eric DaCosta, right, Matt? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah, Hell yeah man. And, and again, to work with, you have all that Under Armour money right there, man. Like, you're swagged out. If you work for the Ravens, you have more Under Armour stuff than anyone in the world immediately. So uh, it, that, and as someone who is a straight up like Under Armour snob, uh, that, that adds to the appeal to me. Well, if they need any, uh, you know, draft media content, me and Matt might have some time <laughs> right. on our hands. We'll come down to Baltimore. Right. You could deck us out. So, all right. This one from JP. First, first question of two. Always love the two parters. It's the way when to do it, it. It really is. Get your money's worth. When is the <laughs> stick to football crew coming to the West Coast? I mean, I will go whenever. You were just there. I was just there. I was just in L.A. for UCLA, Arizona, just to go to the Rose Bowl. I love the West Coast, and I've already had the guys promise me that next year it's happening. Yeah, we we have begun talking, not like seriously, but we've begun talking about where we want to go next year. The West Coast is definitely on the list. I think the Northeast is on our list as well. And then you obviously have to get to an SEC game just because of all the great talent down there. And it's also like a very easy drive. You know, if we go to a game in Atlanta, it's easy to get a lot of people from the Southeast in. So we are now thinking geographically, not just like, hey, Mello and I have to drive. Where are we going? That's within 10 hours. So uh, next year, hopefully we uh, we earn some frequent flyer miles and make it get out to you guys on the West Coast because uh, I would absolutely love to go to the to the Rose Bowl. Uh, I think that Washington would be cool. Oregon, Washington next year could be a hell of a game, uh, especially if Justin Herbert goes back to school. So I know I already have that one on my calendar as a potential spot for us to get to uh, as long as the bosses stay happy, which is why you guys should all immediately leave a five star review if you haven't already. Yeah, just say hello this week. Be like five stars. Uh, enjoyed the podcast. Hello, everyone. Yeah. So, all right. <laughs> Part two of the questions is the NFL now aiming towards a money ball approach? And if so, would majoring in stats give someone a chance of joining the NFL as a sort of analytical position? Yeah, I, actually, I think that's a great idea. I do, too. I mean, I don't know that it's ever going to go full money ball, but I've had conversations with GMs uh, before where. It's like, man, your right tackle is not very good. And he was like, we only pay our right tackle one and a half million dollars a year. If you can find me another tackle that as good as him for that money or less, we will hire you. And I just sat there like, I can't think of one. Like yep. I can't. So you have to, because of a salary cap, you have to allocate money to certain positions. And, and I think it's smart to look at it that way of, okay, you know, this is what we pay X player. That's what that maybe that not what that position is worth necessarily, but in the puzzle that is your salary cap, you have to be able to say, you know, this position is we're getting by at one and a half million. That allows us to pay our quarterback 20 million or whatever it might be. So I think having a stats background is smart anyway. Just like that's it, it opens your mind up to a different way of thinking. And, and with analytics, uh, even though it, it failed in Cleveland. Like every team still employs some type of analytics person. So I think that's a brilliant way to go about it. 
I would definitely try to intern, volunteer, whatever you have to do with your college football team, uh, just to give yourself as much experience and exposure as you can to a football department. You're going to make a lot of connections that way. And then when you're done with college, you're going to be able to have your college head coach say, you know, hey, JP was a big help for us. He's learned a lot about football in the last, you know, how many ever years you helped. And that's just like, that's the best resume builder you can possibly get. So what I've been told by teams is that they find analytics in terms of player scouting and development to be the most valuable for undrafted free agents and the back end of the draft. So late on day three, that's where they feel they could distinguish and find the outliers. So I think it's a very important part of football because if you look at all the best constructed teams in the NFL, they tend to hit on some undrafted free agents or sixth or seventh round guys. I mean, the Seattle Super Bowl teams were not just built on seventh round picks. That's not what I'm saying, but they hit in later round guys and value guys. So I think it's a really interesting thought. Uh, my one story from when I saw you say majoring in stats, I had to take stats in college because I was a business major during the final. And it was a nightmare of a class. I mean, you have to really bust your ass to understand what's going on. My and he was OK, so we could laugh at the story. My professor fell down the like auditorium stairs, handing oh, out shit. the final the entire flight of stairs. I mean, he went flying. So I'm like freaking out because I've been up all night. I, I knew it was going to be a really hard final that I had to do well on to get a really good grade in the class. And talk about completely losing your focus. My professor fell down about 20 steps face first. So that's there, amazing. I had to take stats. I had to take it twice in college and uh, it was definitely my worst class either time. Like it, that, it's, that or finance, anything with and all the calc classes, anything with numbers. Oh my God. I mean, but go for it because if you can do it, it, it actually will translate in a sense to football analytics, not every formula, but the basic right. concept will translate. So if you're trying to find an unconventional way into football right now, because getting into scouting is very difficult. And to be honest with you, a lot of people don't like it anymore. I, I know that's hard to sit here and say as guys that, like me and Matt love our jobs because we are media scouts and we get to have all the fun in the world with this. Team scouts are very research background information gatherers. It's not player, you know, development and evaluations as much anymore in that world. Right. So I find the analytics departments to be a very, very cool place to work. All right. This next question from Colin. Anyway, as with most Jets fans, the last 24 hours have been a nightmarish blur, <laughs> and now the whole world agrees Todd has to go. It's unclear if the Jets will keep him till the end of the year or Hugh Jackson is ass. While firing him immediately sounds great, the coaching staff he's put together is ra rather garbage and without a real next option as the interim coach. Hopefully this finds you because I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts Thanks. This, that was like a, me opening a letter, right. a pigeon carrier letter. When I got this DM, oh, I saw how long man. it was and was like, oh, yeah, we're taking this one. So, Colin, we feel for you. First and foremost, as Connor's Jets fan, I'm a Niners fan. We get it. It's it's tough right now. Um, I, I don't know what you gain by firing him right now. Um, and I know like with Cleveland, it was you had to get Todd, you had to get Hugh out of there and Todd out of there because of the culture. I think with the Jets, you don't have that. Like the players haven't, you know, started fighting with the coaches. There isn't a lack of respect. You don't worry about this damaging the young guys. But I, I think the writing is on the wall, as Connor said earlier in the show. We all know that he's going to get fired. It's just a matter of time before it happens, whether they do that in week 15 or they do it, you know, the Monday after week 17. But I, I do know that I can say confidently, I think the. Jets front office has already started looking at candidates. And I, again, as I said earlier, it's a tough situation because of ownership and because of the, the way the front office is organized, but it's still New York. You, you got Sam Darnold, you got Jamal Adams. Like there's some pieces there that you would want to work with. So uh, whenever it happens, I'm excited to see what type of staff they get built together there. Because I feel like this one was like patched together because you hired Todd and then it didn't work, so he fired all like everybody under him. And now this is like a band-aid staff, and it's not working either. So, yeah, you just gotta you gotta start it over. You know what's an indictment of how bad Bowles has been, Matt? 
is that they're claiming they're not firing him because there's no one there to coach the last couple weeks of the season. That's how bad this staff is. And I feel you that it's been embarrassing. It's been a nightmare. Um, I can guarantee you Todd Bowles will be fired at the end of the season. So if you're still sweating that, save yourself that he's gone. Todd Bowles is, I've met him. He's a really, really nice guy. And he's a really good football coach in terms of defense. He's been a really bad coach and a bad CEO of the Jets. And I, I don't, I do have some problems with him still being here because I think this has become a toxic environment in a sense of they don't even realize that the toxic ways that players are going through the motions. Jamal Adams is a guy that's going to give his last inch every, I mean, he's going to fight like hell every week. Not every guy in the league is built like Jamal Adams. I'd say maybe seven are maybe seven, you know, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Jamal Adams, um, Khalil Mack. Um, I'm missing a couple, but like they're rare personalities that will fight and kill you any way possible. <laughs> That's the best way. The to rest of the team, they're, they're like the rest of the team is just going through the motions week after week. Even Leonard Williams, he's like 23 years old and an ascending player, just out there, just playing, losing to Matt Barkley. Hasn't suited up in two years. Two years he hasn't suited up. Tears apart a Jets secondary that costs how many millions of dollars? That's a coaching issue to me. That's a, we're just here because, hey, this is what we do. It'd be like me walking in the studio and I go to Matt. Yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll just talk about some football things today. But like if the show is is way worse than it should be, then fuck it. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, we're still here. <laughs> it, it's such a bad environment and I'm so tired of it. And I can't wait to, for it to be fucking over because it's been I'm with you, Colin, and I get why you asked the question because it's got to end. I love it. I like getting you at this way. Like, it's 11 in the morning for you, and, like, I know that you're going to want to go drink as soon as we stop recording. <laughs> like, oh, God. A lot. Dude, I'm, I'm so fed up. I, I responded to a Skip Bayless tweet I saw that. yesterday, and I was like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing with myself? I'm, I was on Twitter I've, this morning, like, neck deep in the whole Zach Smith, Tom Herman, Urban Meyer bullshit, so... I'm with you, buddy. I get it. And we will be talking about that on the Friday show. I know a lot of people want to know because the Texas connection officially on the Friday show, we're going to talk about it. I need that long to like craft a statement so that I don't get myself in trouble by saying anything. Uh, Tyler Warden, our good buddy Tyler, uh, wants to know, I can't believe I'm asking this, but should the Giants make a trade for Nick Mullins? <laughs> or Nick Mullins, <laughs> so excuse the, me. The feet- the idea here is good, and I've been talking to a lot of Giants fans, a couple uh, DMing me on Instagram, just talking about next year. How do you get this ship right? And I think the Giants are a really interesting team to talk about because Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham are, are maybe the best players at their – they're one of the best players yeah. in their position groups. There's some talent on this defense. The plan right now is to figure out quarterback, and I, I, Nick Mullen is probably not your answer as much as he's been a fun player these last couple weeks. Teddy Bridgewater is your answer. And and I know Matt will sit here and agree with anything with Teddy Bridgewater being the answer. You let Teddy play next year. You sign him to a free agent deal and he's going to play fine. And he's going to make the giants, you know, hover around an NFC East. That's been rather weak this year. And it'll probably be just okay next year. And then you could figure out your franchise quarterback in the 2020 draft. Exactly. That's the way you do it. And I, I still cannot believe that so many teams let the saints trade for Teddy. When if you're Jacksonville, Jacksonville, the Giants, the Dolphins, the Buccaneers, like all these fucking teams just buried their heads in their asses and said, no, it's OK. And now it's like you're going to have to pay that dude 18 million dollars next year to be your quarterback. And good for Teddy. I'm going to we're going to party when it happens. I'm going to be so happy. But that's that's the reality of the world. So you almost might have to get creative. It's like with the head coaching openings. There are nine openings and there aren't nine candidates. So what are you going to do? And it's going to be that way with the quarterbacks because it's not a good draft. So if you missed out on drafting a quarterback last year, and if you missed out on free agency, you're fucked. And it's, you're going to have to just like, get, get creative. Oh, maybe we send a third to the Niners for Nick Mullen and hope to God that we can do something around him. Hey, as a Niners fan, I'd be really, really happy with that. But it's God. I Tyler, I feel sorry for you. We need to get margaritas and and, and chips and salsa again and just cry about this. Yep, <laughs> it could be worse. You're probably going to get like Nick Bosa or something. So you'll be fine, Giants fans. 
All right, this one from Mike Spencer. He always has some good stuff for us. Will Gus Bradley get another crack at a head coaching gig? Oh, man, I think he should, actually. I, I Yeah, think I the, think there's a chance. More and more we look at what happened in Jacksonville, like because of I think he got hamstrung by Blake Bortles and, and by some you know guys that busted his draft picks. I would like to see it. And, man, like he's doing really, really well with that Chargers defense. So I, I would – that's a name we didn't mention earlier, and I'm I'm glad we didn't because this question made the show now. But that's actually a name I would like to see get mentioned out there. I could even see him going the college route at some point. Um, but you know, he was a DC for three years, head coach for three years, um, and, and now has been great with the Chargers defense. I, I think he signed a pretty expensive extension, but as always, you can get out of those, especially if it's for a head coaching job. He's one of my uh, favorite senior bowl coaches. Oh yes, I've ever God, the most intense practice, right? Yes, we and that was the first practice of that year when we were like really hungover, and we woke up quickly because he was. <laughs> Let's do Oklahoma, but yeah, <laughs> but I mean, he was the type of coach also where you saw him. Certain guys know how to handle everyone differently, and that's what impressed me with Gus Bradley was. He knew players that, like, he had done his homework on his roster, yeah. right? Where this is the first practice. At one-on-ones have been going on for 20 minutes, and he's pulling guys aside and talking to them one-on-one and saying, hey, here's what you're really good at. Here's what you got to improve on. Other guys he's screaming at. And that tells me that Gus does his homework and that Gus is just a really, really good coach with his players. Yeah. And guys loved him. And it was so, I, I want to say that was the year we saw the Jags and the Browns coaching, maybe. And it, them or Dallas, I can't remember yeah, which one. And it was like the, both you, snoozers. You went from the most exciting practice ever to like I'm gonna fall asleep in the stands, like uh, like oh, just awful. chugging Starbucks and eating sunflower seeds, like like crazy to stay awake. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that was I, it, like when the whole week was a walkthrough for one of those yes, teams. God, those I think it days. was the I think it was the Browns where it was literally like a walkthrough. The entire week, we uh, real fun. We have some sway with the Senior Bowl now. Maybe we could talk to to Jim and be like, "Hey, can we get like assistant coaches as the head coaches and just get like Ken Norton Jr. versus Jim Nagel?" <laughs> yeah, God, that would be that would be great. Oh, uh, we got man. two more or, questions, uh, man. And this yep. one is one that this is a tough question. I got it on Twitter this week too. Christian Campbell asked, "Who had a better draft class, the Bears, the Colts, or the Browns?" And now we're only eleven weeks in. So it's it's tough to answer this question. They all did really, really well. And I would actually throw the Broncos in here too. I think the yes. Browns had the best class. They also had the best situation with two picks in the top four. Okay, so here's a clarifier. Because a lot of people, at rightly so, claim the Broncos did. They didn't draft Philip Lindsay. Now that doesn't change things. Because it's a great job finding him. He wasn't a draft pick. So it depends how we want to answer this question. They took Bradley Chubb, Cortland Sutton, Royce Freeman, you know, Josie Jewell, Deshaun Hamilton. They had some really nice picks. Lindsey being a UDFA was such a good find. I'm going to go with the Colts because not only did they make a lot of really nice picks, they're getting way more impact than I ever expected out of guys like Darius Leonard, right? And you look at Quentin Nelson, who's just literally killing anyone in his path. And yelling at Braden them. Smith. <laughs> yelling at them. Kimoko Terry, Taekwon Lewis is finally healthy. We've seen flashes at it. Uh, Naheem Hines. So I really like what the Colts did. He makes a great point, you know, putting um, the Browns in there, man. Well, okay. Let me clarify that. I, I think the Colts did the second best. I said the first, but after what we've now seen in recent weeks, and this is a little reactionary, but with the way Nick Chubb looks, if this is the real Nick Chubb now, and Baker Mayfield pans out, and Denzel Ward can stay healthy, it might be the Browns. It's neck and neck. I'll leave it like that. It's such a hot debate, and it's so early to answer. But the fans of those teams should be ecstatic oh, without with a what doubt. they got. Yeah, man, without a doubt. And I, I think it, it's like it's going to be fun to watch and see like how it all plays out over the next couple of years. Yeah. And like Baker Mayfield's playing great, and I can't wait to see him in an offense with uh, more help especially from the coaching staff. So like I can't, I can't wait to see where these teams all go. And with the Broncos, like that defense is fantastic. The bears, the bears are clicking. Like I think they're one of the best kept secrets in the NFL right now. 
like how well Mitch Trubisky's playing. Obviously, the defense is lights out. They're starting to get together on offense because it's a lot of new pieces with Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller. Like they are very, very, very good, and it could be dangerous. And everyone knows how much I love the Colts front office and the, the hire of Frank Reich and what they did in the draft. So that's a, a good one as too. A good one as well. Your buddy Dam Supa is back in the draft on draft comments. And we got one last question. Better pro prospect, Kelvin Harmon at NC State or Anthony Johnson at Buffalo? Oh, it's I think Kelvin Harmon's the most complete receiver in the draft right now. And, and I like uh, Anthony Johnson. But, I mean, when you look at Kelvin Harmon, it, he looks like a top 30 lock to me. See, I haven't, I, I haven't I, put I, him that highly, but I also have not watched... You know, I've probably seen three games and a lot of that was watching Ryan Finley. So I'm going to get there now, especially that he's uh, walking with the seniors at NC State, which usually says that yep. uh, that, that he's going to declare. So uh, it he is someone I'm going to dig in on deeper. But I, I, I think Anthony Johnson's a little bit of a one trick pony. Um, really good at it, at you know, the deep ball and the jump ball. But I, I like Harmon better than him at this point. Quite a bit better, honestly. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple round difference there, and and I understand why you know the Buffalo fans are very excited about Anthony Johnson because it's been a really fun season for that team, and their college basketball team now is good. I don't know when it happened, but I blinked, and Buffalo is like this powerhouse athletic school now. So, not gonna sleep on any of their players anymore, man. Matt, if you missed it, Matt has a new big board out. It you know he's got top tens at every position. He's got an overall top thirty two. So go check that out. Dig through that. Nitpick it. Send us Hate questions tweet me about over it. it. <laughs> Hate tweet Matt over it. You know, just show up to the tailgate and fight everyone. We've had it Do whatever you want. Have some fun. <laughs> this week was a lot of fun. A big thanks to Matt, who is snowed in, iced in, whatever you want to call it. Always finding a way to get things done. You'll hear the guys on Friday, so don't miss that. And keep sending those draft on draft questions. We'll catch you guys next week. 